0: The following is a production by Cutting to the Chase Podcast.
1: I think it has value, but as you said, there needs to be balance. We need to make sure we don't forget about the eye test, too, because the eye test, they both have equal value.
0: Mike Colon, thanks for coming on. How is your day going so far?
1: Uh, it's been, it's been chill. Uh, just, you know, the weather's beautiful. I have a patio, so I'm trying to enjoy it as much as I can before summer's out. Uh, um, you know, I am i haven't, the thing is, it's it's funny. Usually in years past, my afternoons would be occupied sitting in front of a television screen and watching a ball game. But as you get older and the responsibilities increase in life, you know, it's like, eh, do I care that they're losing right now to the Cleveland Indians? Not really. Soon to be Cleveland Guardians. Not really. It's just, okay, whatever. You know, because I used to be a kid. Obviously, we all used to be kids, duh. But, uh, you know, I used to be much smaller. And you're watching a game and you're going ballistic over what is or isn't going right for your team, whatever the team may be. I'm a Yankees, Knicks, Giants, and Rangers fan. And so, you know, my mom used to always say, much to my chagrin, they're millionaires. They don't pay your bills, they don't know that you exist. And now that I've gotten older and I've gotten a little bit more experience in this thing called life, I know exactly what she was talking about. So it's like, OK, if they if they make the wild card, great. If they don't, whatever, you know, for me, like I said, when we were at the at the top, just stay busy with other stuff. Uh, sending call, <clears throat> sending calls, sending emails, making calls, sending tests in text. Uh, and uh, that's how you, you know, you stay busy. The, as as uh, Jay-Z once said in 1996, uh, "Is reasonable doubt you can't knock the hustle.
0: That's true, yeah, I was thinking about it uh the other night, where you know maybe in the past, I would get so fed up with a loss, or you know even when a team wins, it's like once I go to sleep and wake up the next day, I'm ready for the next game, regardless, but I know the pain of when a team is losing and what that's like, but uh, yeah, you know the Yankees they're down eleven to three, I think, in the ninth inning right now, and They won 8-0 on Friday, but that team is so Jekyll Hyde. The offense is too good to be struggling and be as inconsistent as it's been. What's your thoughts with this team? You know, they made a run once they acquired Rizzo from the Cubs, and they win 13 in a row, and ever since then, they've been kind of sputtering and I, I mean, this team could get hot and make a run, but I just don't get that feeling from this team that they're going to be able to make that run in October, assuming they can even get to the playoffs.
1: You know, I was I, sometimes when I have these conversations with my friends and family um, or when I'm on Twitter, I, I run the risk of sounding like a 65 year old WFAN caller. A lot of people have said I'm an old soul in that way, and I would have to agree. But I, I, I always say it, you know, it's all in the philosophy. Look at Tampa, look at the Dodgers, you know, look at teams like that. What's the common factor? Yeah, I'm sure they have their fair share of strikeouts, but they are not a one-dimensional either. I'm going to rocket the ball 450 feet to the next dimension, or I'm going to strike out type team. They put the ball in play, which is to say contact. Why do you think I, you know, DJ LeMay, who's one of the favorite Yankees I've had in a while. Why? Because even though he's having a bit of a down year this year, he's a contact guy. He makes contact. He doesn't live and die by the home run. Stanton, to his credit, has gotten much better at that. Not living and dying by the home run so much, even though he's been hitting a lot of them lately. He's more of a contact guy. Judge has become more of a contact guy. And when they were winning championships in the 90s, that, that dynastic run of 1996 to 2001, and again in 2009, they had guys who simple. I mean, sure, they had their home run hitters. Kano hit home runs. Uh, Matsui hit home runs. A rod, obviously. But did they live and die by it? No. It was a multiple pronged offensive approach that I think they've been missing for a while now. And the definition of insanity is to continue to do the same thing and expect different results. When you have all these hitters right. and this this you know this this crap philosophy of launch angle, exit velocity. Yeah, you're going to go out there and win 100 games when half the league is tanking, which they did in 2018, which they did in 2019. But come playoff time, you get exposed. Look at what Michael Brantley is doing for Houston. The Yankees could have had that. But no, we had to get Rugnet Odor in his career 230-something batting average You know, to where I, I really have – that's one of the things that made me fall out of love with baseball. That we've gone away from basically that, the, the multi dimensional approach to where I saw somebody tweet this and it's true. Half the league is Adam Dunn, basically. Mm. You know, that's, that's yeah, the yeah, that's
0: true. It surprised me to see that Joey Gallo strikes out so much, but he also walks at a very high clip. And I didn't realize that he. I don't know if he leads the league necessarily, but he's up amongst the league leaders in home runs, walks, and strikeouts. And, you know, to contrast that, a guy like Javi Baez, I love Javi Baez, but we always knew that he would strike out a ton and never really walks at all. But he can also get on a two- or three-week tear where he's the best player on the planet. And we saw that a few years ago when he was a MVP candidate. Not sure he'll get back to that, but... Even amongst the strikeouts this year, he's still having a pretty solid season, and he's been on fire as of late. They say that baseball is this three true outcome sport with the walks, the strikeouts, the home runs, and I feel like baseball does go through trends. Going back to 2015, the Royals had the uh, the super bullpen, the amazing bullpen, they won the World Series that year, and I feel like other teams kind of try to copy the blueprint and you know, the Cleveland Indians in 2016, they rode Andrew Miller. He was so effective in the playoffs and that worked. That formula was working. You mentioned the Tampa Bay Rays. I'm actually kind of rooting for a Giants Rays World Series because I feel like those two teams have been the best teams all season. Uh, You could throw the Dodgers in there, but I feel like the Giants have been in first place every day. And I think it'll be a, a really intriguing matchup. The Rays might even be the best run organization in baseball uh they know when to let guys go you you think about Blake Snell from last year they just seem to be able to replenish they be they're able to just bring up guys other guys can go it should be a fun playoffs once we get there but as far as New York teams go the Mets seem to be going backwards the Yankees have been hit or miss you know the Mets kind of got on a tear there after the whole the whole Francisco Lindor Javi Baez thumbs down thing but yeah, I think you said it earlier. The Yankees and how they were in the late 90s into the early 2000s, that team is gone. Even that era of baseball is kind of different now. And I don't know about you, but I'm not really an Aaron Boone fan. Yeah, and right. I don't even know that it's all on him. Uh, maybe it's Cashman, maybe it's the players. But yeah, they've gotten to the playoffs the last couple of years, but what have they done since then? And, you know, I don't know if I really buy into this, uh, you know, managers that haven't really managed before just stepping into that dugout. But I don't know, maybe they can manage. You know, maybe David Ross is a good manager. It's hard to say because his whole roster has been stripped away basically. And last year was a, a weird year anyway with the the pandemic. But I think I agree with like with what you said about the old soul mentality, especially with baseball, because I'm not really a fan of these mega contracts, these like 10-year, $300 million deals because how often do they really pan out? But then I look at a team like the Dodgers who just spend and spend, they get Scherzer, but they also have prospects coming up. So even if guys don't exactly pan out the way they would have hoped, they keep going for it. And sometimes I think maybe I should just think of it as being a fan again and not always be so realistic. But then I'm thinking, I don't think I can just go back to that mentality.
1: No, and that's that's me too, and and you know it's funny the Dodgers. Somebody made the comparison. I think it was Arod called them the new Yankees, in which the Yankees in the mid two thousands were saying we're going to get Gary Sheffield, we're going to get Bobby Ray, we're going to get all the, we're going to get Kenny Lofton, we're just going to stack the deck. But the difference is, you know, and do they fit here? Can they play together? We don't know. We'll figure it out. We'll win 100 games anyway. You know, but the difference is they have a great farm system, too. The Yankees in the mid-2000s didn't have that. And, you know, you mentioned the Rays, too. The Rays are like the Patriots. Bill Belichick had the philosophy where he would say it's better to let a player go a year too early than a year too late. And you saw that because, as you said, guys would come right in and they would win Super Bowls left and right. But, you know, with, with the Dodgers, it's the same thing. Their pipeline is so good. That's why they can make a Max Scherzer trade Turner trade. That's why they can go out there and get Mookie bets and win a World Series. They know how to manage assets. You know, it could be right now, I, it's easy to do it because he's having such a horrendous year which is surprising to me, but if they want to let Cody Bellinger go, you might have some people that say, yeah, what are you doing? I mean, he's had one bad year, but it could be that then they plug somebody else. And it's almost like, you know, I hate to say, because Bellinger's a good player otherwise that he was never even there in the first place. So, yeah. And, you know, you mentioned, I'm rocking a Ray Ordonez black 1999 Mets jersey right now. Mm. And You mentioned Javi Baez, I saw Mets. you know, and that that's kind of what he is. And that's not an insult. Ordonez is a you know, similar player. Ordonez was a great defensive player. I remember talking about that with Bobby V when he was on my show, you know, and Javi Baez is kind of the same way, but the thing of Javi Baez is that Javi Baez generally doesn't get the ball in the air a lot, and with, like with Ordonez, Ordonez didn't have a great sense of plate discipline, and neither does Baez, but still, I mean, you know, Ray Ordonez never hit 30 home runs in a season, Javi has. Uh, Ray Ordonez never had 80 RBIs in a season, his career high was 60, Javi has eclipsed that numerous times. He's an enigma of a player but I, what I, people were saying, oh, he cost himself money. He's probably not going to be a Met after this year with the whole thumbs down thing. If Steve Cohen wants him back, he'll be back. I, I, I think exactly. there's reason to bring him back. Obviously he didn't do himself any favors, but then again, he's the least of the Mets problems, you know, and I look at New York baseball and you are a little bit, I'm, how old are you? Cause I'm 21. I'm 32. Okay. So you experienced the late nineties with uh, the Mets and the Yankees being really good at the same time. That 1997 to 2000 period, especially 1999 and 2000, when they were both legitimate World Series contenders. Look at the, what the Mets had. Olarud, Alfonso, Piazza, Ventura, Agbayani, Henderson, Zeal, Jay Payton. The Yankees had their nucleus with Tino and Bernie and, and Jeter, Mariano, Andy, Posada. list goes on and on and on. I thought when Steve Cohen bought the Mets, we were going to get back to that. I knew the Yankees would do their thing. I knew the Yankees would make their signings. And I thought that finally, with the Mets not being run as if they were the Montreal Expos close to, to being bankrupt in the early 2000s, that we would get that repeat of the late 90s where baseball in New York mattered the way it's supposed to. It always matters, but it would be back on the pedestal it's supposed to be. And we haven't gotten that. You know, and it's unfortunate. And I don't know, you know, I I, I almost, in a sense... I don't want to say I root for the Yankees to miss the playoffs. I mean, like I said, I don't care either way. But if they were, I'm curious to see what would happen if, you know, they do miss it. And okay, you haven't missed it in five years. You had an excuse then. In 2016, they were rebuilding. They weren't supposed to make it. If they miss it again, being World Series favorites at the start of the year. I know Boone's gone. His contract's up anyway. But after 23 years, do you say goodbye to Brian Cashman, who, as I've tweeted before, I think feels... As if he's the smartest man in the room and has forgotten what Joe Torre told him years ago, which is Joe was really frustrated with the whole analytics thing uh, in 2007, which was Joe's last year. And Joe said in spring training, Brian, remember this game has a heartbeat. It seems that Cashman's forgotten that. So I'm curious to see if they don't make it. You know, if they do go hide instead of Jekyll, does he lose his job? You know what? I remember
0: that. I read Joe Torre's book. I I remember him talking about that and how fed up he got It's a good point about Boone because I do think that missing the playoffs might be better in the long run, but I don't know because I've seen people who think he'll be back regardless. And, you know, as far as Cashman, it is kind of rare to see executives with one team for so long. And, you know, Billy Bean comes to mind. But if George was still around, I wonder if Cashman would still be there. And I don't really get the same vibe from Hal. And I know Cash has the rings from the past, but, but yeah, as far as Boone, I also don't know. I mean, again, it's it's hard to put the blame all on one person. I don't know if it's him, the players, the the roster. So it's it's going to be interesting to see if this team does miss the playoffs or if they get in and get bounced early, how they're going to proceed forward. But with Boone, do you think
1: that he is definitely gone? Yeah, his contract's up anyway, so they wouldn't bring him back. And Cashman, you know, I'll, I'll always say he has one title, 2009. He didn't build those 90s teams. He added to them. That's true. You know, Bob Watson, the late Bob yeah. Watson, the late great Gene Michael, uh, who sadly are both not with us anymore, they built those teams. You know, and, and all Cashman had to do was just add to it. And to his credit, the additions he made were good. In 1999, he added Roger Clemens. Say what you will about the kind of guy Roger Clemens is. To those teams of 99 and 2000, Clemens was a great addition, 2001. He was a Cy Young Award winner, even though we kind of know why he was winning that Cy Young. But nonetheless, (laughs) he was a great addition. David Justice in 2000, the Yankees were floundering midway through that season. He brings in David Justice. David Justice was their MVP the rest of the way. you know, And he won the ALCS MVP, and they end up winning their third straight World Series. And obviously, credit where credit is due, Sabathia, Burnett, and Swisher were great additions in the 08 offseason. Teixeira, and they paid dividends immediately. But it's only one title. You know, and when you go, I I hate to sound like a spoiled Yankee fan, but listen, we're in a drought in New York. You know, we haven't won a championship since the Giants knocked off New England in Super Bowl 46 It's been a minute. And when it's one thing when you're the Mets and you're not run right, or the Knicks who are finally starting to turn the corner and be good again, and you're not run right. Okay, fine. Uh, Or any other teams in New York, you're the Yankees. You're one of the richest teams in sports. You're right behind the Dallas Cowboys in terms of worth. You make, you know, you charge hand over fist for concessions at Yankee Stadium. Don't cry poor to me about the luxury tax. Do I understand wanting to stay under it because it's a pain in the neck? Yeah, I can sympathize with that on a business level. But when you have the resources to add pieces and you miss out on Max Scherzer and you miss out, uh, you know, previously on Garrett Cole, they have him now, but they could have sure used him in 18 and 19. Uh, you know, that's, that's what annoys me. And when you miss out, I mentioned them earlier on Michael Brantley and Kyle Schwarber, who was doing great before, until he got hurt and it's kind of tapered off a bit. And you bring in Rubenet O'Dor, who had, listen, he was a good teammate and a good guy by all accounts, but I don't need a guy who's got a career 236 batting average hitting in the three hole. You miss out on all these guys. What, you know, we're, we're coming on 12 years. If they don't get the job done this year, which I don't think they will, you know, 12 years since the title. How are you going to explain why you still should stick around? I understood seventeen, okay. You got to game seven. You weren't supposed to get that far. You're, you're, it was un, you know it was something that was unforeseen, them going that far. All right. You earned yourself some time. 2018, for as much as it sucked losing to the Red Sox, okay. The Red Sox were just stacked that year and fine. 2019, you had a bunch of injuries. You made a great run. You put it together with basically duct tape and spare parts and you got to to game six, you know, against Houston and almost to a game seven. Fine. Last year, wash, pandemic. But now, now with this year, you know, now everything that Cashman hasn't achieved starts to come to the forefront to where. They need a change. And I think in the dugout, if they, whoever they bring in next, what I hate now is that these managers, for lack of a better way to put it, I'm sorry to say, have been neutered for the most part. Oh yeah. They're puppets. They're puppets. There's not many guys. And I'm sure it's killing them inside, even though they give these generic answers in press conferences. You know, I get we're not in 1985 anymore, where you go by your gut and the managers in the dugout, like Earl Weaver, chewing on tobacco. I get we're not in those days anymore. But again, I hate to sound redundant and repetitive. The game has a heartbeat. Aaron Boone is no dummy. He comes from a baseball family. He's a baseball lifer. You don't think it kills him to have to put Brett Gardner in the two hole, which is what they were doing earlier this year. And I love Brett Gardner, great Yankee. He's not what he used to be. He's picked it up as of late, hit a big home run last night, but he's not somebody that you should be playing at least in that spot or as often as they play him. So you look at that, you see that. I They'll never do it because they know he's not going to take any crap. Buck Showalter is an analyst for yes right now. Buck Showalter is only 65. I think he's got one more go in them. give Buck this team because Buck's going to go in there much like he did when he got to New York the first time, much like he did with Arizona, much like he did with Baltimore, and looked at some of these players and said, okay, you haven't won anything. You haven't achieved anything. In some cases, you're a losing ball club. You follow my way. You go by my regimentations. We're going to go somewhere because that's what these guys need in the dugout. They need a reality check. Luke Voigt, who I can – Luke Voigt, don't let the door hit you on the way out. I can do without his jocularity in the dugout and acting like he's Stone Cold Steve Austin. The other night he hits a home run against Toronto when they're on the verge of getting swept and he's doing the, the water. Pop. Right. I'm like – I saw that. Things like that, you know what? That, that That's where you know that these guys are just – I hate to say it, but meatheads to where Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton are great players. And they've picked up the slack a lot recently. But for whoever's around next year in the 2022 Yankees, they need Buck to come in there and say, you're great. You've achieved this. You've achieved that. You know, give me your hand. Where's the rings? What have you won? What have you won? You haven't won anything. Christian Vax- Vasquez has more rings than these guys do. They need that cold water dumped on them to say, you're not anything yet. You may be a multiple-time All-Star. You may have won an MVP like Stan has. What have you done in October? Nothing.
0: Yeah, and I like that you had a solution with Buck Showalter and with the latest trends with Tony La Russa and Dusty Baker. Who knows? I mean, it's not too far-fetched to think that Buck Showalter may be in their plans. Going back to Boone, I think you make a great point because I don't think it's all on Boone, and he's not an idiot. It, It brings up the point, though, of if baseball, if the front offices are managing through the manager, then I don't know how effective the manager is on their own. And if the front office is doing that, then let the manager manage. But to this point, I still haven't seen enough to say, yeah, bring Boone back. I love the movie Moneyball, but we've gotten into this super analytical age and I am not against analytics. I think it has its place, but like anything, there's a fine balance. And, You know, there are certain teams that utilize it well, whether it's the Giants, the Dodgers, the Rays, even though I know they kind of maybe messed up in the World Series last year by pulling snow when they did. But there's definitely teams that utilize it well. And maybe that's why sometimes it gets in the way if a team, the manager, for instance, goes, you know, against the heartbeat of the game. But. But yeah, maybe there's a, a reason for why certain teams' offenses are so boomer bust. You know, with the home runs, the strikeouts, whether it's the Yankees or the Cubs have had these problems offensively for the last few years. In 2016, they were a historically great offense. They were great. They could, you know, contact, home runs, whatever you needed. I know losing a guy like Ben Zobers didn't help because he's such a professional hitter. What do you think about the way baseball is now with the analytical age and the you mentioned the batting average with roof netto but you know we see players being analyzed based on their war for instance or certain
1: analytical stats i i'm of the ilk that you are i was saying this to my brother-in-law the other day he's an atlanta braves fan you know and um We were talking just about his team, my team, the general state of baseball. I said the same thing you said. I think analytics does have its place. I think it is needed. Look at LeMahieu. LeMahieu was an analytics signing, and he's been a godsend for the most part since he got to New York. I think it has value, but as you said, there needs to be balance. We need to make sure we don't forget about the eye test, too, because the eye test, they both have equal value. Analytics. The eye test. They're, they're nothing's more than the other. They're both the same because I was reading, and I really don't tweet as much these days. I just promote my work and keep it moving because I don't feel like fighting people. I don't have that kind of
0: That's time. That's a good point. Time.
1: Yeah. But, you know, I'm reading and scrolling these tweets and I'm laughing because I had some time to kill. And somebody was, you know, bemoaning Joey Gallo, who was gotten hot recently but was struggling mightily before that. And somebody said he still has a WRC+, which I have to be honest, I don't even know what that means. WRC+, of uh, one whatever, which I guess is good. And I'm like, I'm laughing. I'm like, that's great. He's still 13 for his last 1,000, you know, striking out every other at bat. I'm glad his WRC is high, but he's not playing well right now. I just, that's the part that we've gotten way too crazy with to where sometimes it's as simple as the eye test. If a guy's playing bad, he's playing bad. It doesn't mean he won't correct it, but right now he's in a slump or if he's just, you know, Stan, we were getting on Stan, Stan. He's gotten a lot better since he's played the field and they stopped babying him. But before that, when he would go through these stretches where he's looking lost at the plate and swinging at sliders that are like 80, foot, you know, 80 feet away from the plate, people were saying, you know, it was defending him with the advanced stats. But, you know, th- th- sometimes the team will, pay- will play better without him. Thankfully, now that's not the case. He seems to have found his footing. Hopefully that's a trend going forward the rest of his time in New York. But sometimes it is just as simple as looking at the eye test and examining what a player is or isn't uh, contributing to a lineup. And the stat lines are always weird to me. The first experience I had with this was Carlos Pena with Tampa Bay. Because I remember sitting in uh, uh, the living room of somebody who's like a grandfather to me. I love him dearly. And we were talking in Spanish, and I was confused because I was saying, you know, Carlos Pena, his stat line, I saw 100 RBIs, good. 40 home runs, good. Batting average, 196. I'm like, what? You know, that's the first time I ever saw a weird stat line like that. I'm like, what? Why? I'm like, why is his batting average so low if these numbers are so good? And I was like nine years old. This year the Yankees won the World Series. And he says to me, A, he strikes out a lot. B, whenever he hits a home run, there's never hardly any, any men on base when he does. So that's that's part of the problem, too. As you said, I, uh, that's a long way of me saying I agree with your stance and and that we've really lost value for the eye test. And it's not just baseball. It's all sports. Like The Rangers brought in Ryan Reeves. Okay. Ryan Reeves is a bad hockey player. His advanced stats show me, okay, he may not be as good as Artemi Panera. He may not be as good as Mika Sabanajic. He's not there for that. He's a fourth liner. What, what, does his right hand work? That's what he's there for. It may sound like a 1985 philosophy, you know, gone are the days of Bob Probert and Marty McSorley, but sometimes it comes down to that. You know what he is. Why is he there? Exactly. Yep.
0: I like the segue to hockey because I was going to bring that up next. So first off, what is your favorite sport or do you like the NBA, NHL, NFL, MLB
1: all the same? Across the board, across the board. I joke I'm the only Dominican hockey fan, uh, you know, because my friends call me an Oreo because they say, Mike, you know, you get we get the hockey games. We just get them just so we could fight. They're the only one that I, we know that actually gets it, builds up teams, does franchise mode, knows the players. Because I love it. I discovered, you know, the MSG and then airs both the Knicks and the Rangers. And I discovered the Rangers by accident. And I fell in love with the teams of Yaramir Yager and Sean Avery and Henrik Lundqvist and Brendan Shanahan, Chris Drury, Scott Gomez. Uh, so those were that was my introduction to hockey. I, you know, Nate, Lee, Nate Robinson and David Leo always have a special place in my heart. When the Knicks were going real bad, they were the only two bright spots. Football, love the Giants. I picked up the Giants, like, the year they won. I was six years old. I picked them up the year they won Super Bowl forty two, and I stuck with them. Um, So across the board, I follow follow it all the same. If if the Yankees won the World Series, it would mean just as much to me if the Rangers won the Stanley Cup or the Knicks uh, won the championship or the Giants won another Super Bowl.
0: Going back to last season, when the Rangers overhauled the front office, firing Jeff Gordon and John Davidson. And you mentioned Ryan Reeves. I still think that fighting belongs in the game. I get that that's not a popular opinion these days, and I'm not advocating for the line brawls and the ugly stuff that happens or has happened, or like that Tom Wilson game I was kind of referencing. But there's still a physical edge in in the game. But going back to the Rangers, where were you on those firings and did that surprise you when they made those moves it did
1: um you know, I saw the incident, and, and that was very scary when Panarin was, you know, ragdolled to the ice like that. It's one thing to fight a guy, and it's already bad enough if you're— I mean, Tom Wilson's just a scumbag. We can agree on that. You know, it's one thing to fight a guy that isn't a fighter. That's already breaking the code, going after somebody that's not known as a fighter. You're already on thin ice with that, but to ragdoll and to— I mean, he could have—I don't think it's an exaggeration to so say. He could have killed him. He wasn't wearing a helmet. You hit somebody—somebody somebody falls in their head. How many times have we seen—that's ice— we see these horrible stories in the news of somebody getting into a street fight, somebody sucker punches them, they, they fall. Why did they die? They hit their head, you know? And so when I saw that, that was very disturbing. And that went way past any line, in, in, you know, of conduct in any sport, you know, in regards to fighting. That wasn't hockey. That was, like, outright just thuggery. Um, so when Dolan originally came out with the statement, I was fully on board. Tom Wilson is a, is a violent lunatic. And they haven't dealt with them properly. He hasn't got it. I tell you, if Scott Stevens was still running around, I'm not even a Devils fan, Scott Stevens would have ripped his head off. Bob Corbert would have ripped his head off. Marty McSorley would have ripped his head off if he had done something like that. You know, but we don't, we're gone from the age of the enforcer. And listen, I kind of understand it. But that's where I agree with you that it still has its place because to have something like that happen was disgraceful. And then when I saw that Davidson and Gorton were fired, I pull up Twitter I just got back home from from running some errands, and I see Larry Brooks' tweet. Now, Larry Brooks isn't verified on Twitter, so I thought it was a parody account. Right, I clicked agreed. on it to make sure that it was actually right, Larry, yeah. and it is. And I I saw that tweet, and I was just. Like, why? You know, I thought they were all on board. And then I learned they weren't on board with the statement. So you know what? Once I learned the details about how they weren't on board with confronting what is a very, you know, a, a problem player, to say the least, in the NHL. And obviously everything that's gone on with them in regards to the – I don't I – don't, listen, this is an unpopular opinion. I don't care about what Tony D'Angelo has to say about his views on things. I it, Fine, whatever he is, what he is. He doesn't bother me if he wants to feel that way about whatever, you know let him it's it's his prerogative for you know i don't it doesn't bother me in any way shape or form but i understand why they drew a line with him he's a talented player but he's a head case so i get it you know they had but they had that going on for a while um they had other stuff going and you know what the rebuild is a good rebuild but there comes a point in time where you got to put your foot in the gas and the yankees did that you know you could say the jury's still out in the Stanton trade I, I hate to go back to that and sound repetitive but After 2017, they decided, okay, rebuild is over. We're going to go for it. That's why they made that tree. Similarly, you bring in Artemi Panarin, look at what he's brought to the Rangers. You don't want to waste that. You don't want it to end in April where, okay, let's go home. So if they wanted to put an accelerated timetable and make the playoffs, I liked David Quinn a lot. He seemed like a really nice guy. And I hope that he does find another job. And by all the counts, he's a good man. And I thought that he did some good things with the Rangers. He brought a lot out of Mika Sabanajic. He brought a lot on the ice out of Tony D'Angelo. And, you know, Pavel Buchnevich grew substantially under him. But is he the kind of guy, Mike Lupica has a great line, and he usually uses it in regards to closers. Can you see this guy getting three outs in in the ninth inning to clinch you a World Series? Similarly speaking, can you see David Quinn pulling a Mike Keenan and lifting the cup over his head? I couldn't. I can see that with Gerard Gallant. Gerard gallant has got a pedigree. You know, and so I think those moves needed to be made. So once I learned the behind the scenes from Brooks's excellent reporting in the New York Post, I said, you know what, it makes sense. But Chris Jury, listen, uh, Jury's still out on him and hopefully he does a good job.
0: I remember an article, maybe it was the New York Post, I'm not sure, but they were talking about why the Rangers made the moves when they did. Because usually if, you, if you're going to make, you know, fire somebody and bring in someone new, you might wait till after the season. And or unless it's the middle of the year and you're trying to, you know, jolt the team or something. But making those moves when they did seemed curious. And maybe that game, the Capitals game, was the the final straw. But when they said that they wanted to bring in Chris Drury right away, you know, to get that transition underway, whether it was to have him in place for exit interviews or just to have the next regime in place you know I was thinking that makes sense because you know again it seems like something they could have just done wait this the rest of the few games left to go in the season play them out and then make the change but you know it makes sense to have someone the next guy in place right then if they can so I thought okay that makes sense so personally I'm excited for the Blue Jackets and their rebuild and with the Rangers I definitely think they're on the rise they're close are you looking at the Rangers as a team that, you know, still is just trending upward, or do they need to make the playoffs?
1: No, you got to make the playoffs. You've missed it three years in a row now. It's, it's put up a shut-up time as far as I'm concerned. I hated the Bucinevich trade because, listen, Sammy Blake could bring something to you. He's 25 years old. I get it. But if you're going to make that Bucinevich trade, you better supplement that with another signing to complement your top six. So I think his absence might hurt them, hopefully, on the bright side. If they don't, I mean, I don't even care about Jack Eichel at this point. I'm just so sick of it. Get your surgery. First of all, get your health in order. He has a hernia in his in his neck, I believe, which is not good. So you know what? I don't care what the Buffalo doctors are saying. You don't want to be there anyway. Go get the surgery and focus on your health first. And the rest will take care of itself later. But hopefully, you know, this uh, allows Vitaly Kravstov to come in and emerge as a big-time player. Hopefully, you see more growth from Kako and Lafreniere um, on that front. So. They have the pieces. They have the potential generational goalie, uh, dare I say, in Igor Shosturkin, who in a short sample size has been great. Will he achieve what Mike Richter and Henrik Lundqvist achieved? I hope, I hope he achieves half of what they achieved at, at the very minimum. But he looks great. You have, obviously, Adam Fox, who's this generation's Brian Leach, already has one Norris under his name, who knows how many more he could win. The P- Mika Sabanajad, who's one of my favorite Rangers. If he ever leaves the Rangers, I will be devastated. And obviously, we mentioned Panarin. The pieces are there. Can they win a Stanley Cup? I don't think they stack up well against Boston, who's still pretty loaded. I don't think they stack up that well. I mean, I know Toronto can't get out the first round. But, I mean, if the Rangers and in the, in the Leafs play them in the first round, it's a tough matchup uh, for New York. So there's still some teams that are better than them. Tampa Bay, obviously, is world class. You know, so I, do I think they'll win a Stanley Cup? No, but get, at least get in the door. And how many times have we seen, sometimes the goalie gets hot, and he'll, he'll, you can ride that all the way to a Stanley Cup. That happened, even though they didn't win, 1999, as I'm sure you remember. Dominic Hasek, who's the greatest goalie of all time, obviously, it's a little bit different. He got really hot, really hot. And they got all the way to game six of the Stanley Cup final. Tim Thomas, who was a pretty good goal in his own right, same thing. He had one of the greatest postseason runs you could ever have in 2011. What happened? They won the Stanley Cup. So you never know. Point is, get there. You never know.
0: Yeah, the 03 Stanley Cup final between the Ducks and the Devils. New Jersey won. John but Sebastian Jaguar. J.S. Jaguar was insane with the shutout streak. And the Ducks were, I
1: think, a seven seed. They were a seven seed. And this isn't, mind you, I not have to cut you off, but this is a era in which there was no salary cap. So their best players were Steve Ruchin, Rangers legend. I kid. He, he was he was there when I was getting into hockey in 05, 06. Steve Ruchin, the great Paul Correa, who had it not been for concussions, would have you know, achieved even more than he did in what was an outstanding career anyway. You know, it was just that. It was, it was a series. Adam Oates was there. It was a decent team. But, you know, they're, they're coming in against the Red Wings in the first round. This is a team that, that arguably is the greatest roster ever assembled the year before. It had guys like Luke Robitaille and Igor Larionov on their third or fourth line. That's how stacked they were. And there's no reason to believe they won't win again. Jaguar gets hot. They breeze through them. They breeze through a really good Vancouver team with the Sedine Twins and Marcus Naslin. They get, I forget who they topped in the conference finals. I think it was the Minnesota Wild. Uh, and they get all the way to they get all the way to game seven against a re- again, a, a really good New Jersey team. Had three legendary defensemen, Danico Niedermeyer and Stevens. You know, had uh Patrick Eliash, of course, had Marty Brodeur uh in net. That. that was, you know, so. Again, even though they didn't win, and even though Verdura prevailed in the end, and they were able to win that game seven, I think, in a shutout, um, just to even get there as a seven seed in a brutal conference is amazing. Like I said, you never know.
0: I checked, and they played Dallas in the semis.
1: That means Minnesota played Vancouver then. So that yeah, Minnesota, Minnesota came back from a 3-1 deficit against Vancouver.
0: What do you think of John Tortorella? I was a Torts fan. I liked him in Columbus, but I can agree that this past season, it was time to go their separate ways. And, you know, it was getting kind of hard to defend some of the lineup decisions in terms of guys he was icing or really guys that were not getting ice time or certain times in which players were not playing the the ice time or the uh when they were deployed was questionable certain guys weren't like line a wasn't being utilized in scoring opportunities like in overtime so i know it's kind of the torch or the highway but uh yeah i thought it was time to kind of go their separate ways i was definitely a fan of his his overall tenure he did tv briefly in the past and i know he'll be on espn this upcoming season so i'm kind of looking forward to that as well
1: yeah, I'm with you. You know, towards my old friend uh, Fitz uh, from, Gotham, from my days at Gotham Sports Network made this point on Twitter, and, and it's it's a great point. You know, as a Knicks fan, I see what Tom Thibodeau has done uh, for the Knicks, you know, and how much the guys love him. You see the same thing, in you know, when he was in Chicago, when he was in Minnesota for that brief spell, he ended their playoff drought. John Tortorella is basically the NHL version of Tom Thibodeau. You know, they're one and the same. He will get so much out of you, but he will train you. And when it's over, you know it's over. Because that was the case with the Rangers. I mean, that was the era of the black and blue Rangers, you know. They came in, they blocked shots, they were willing to sacrifice so much. And he brought so much out of these guys, and he was a master technician. And for me, for a, I know the 2014 team made the Stanley Cup Final. That 2012 team, I know the 2015, was loaded, 2015 team was loaded as well. That 2011-2012 New York Rangers squad is the best squad I've ever seen in my life. That's the best – to to date, I hope there's another squad that will come around and win the cup, and that will be the best squad. But to date, that 11-12 squad, I was convinced was going to win the cup, which is why I still despise Adam Marik to this day uh, for that Game 6 goal. Adam, if you're listening, I'll never forgive you. I'm sure you're a nice guy, but I won't forgive you for that. Um, And that he that was – a lot of that was him. You know, he brought so much out of these guys – but again, you know, uh, it got to a point in 2013 with that lockout year that you just knew. I mean, they're running out of gas, and it was an older squad. And so, you, you know, he needed a fresh start. And he got to Columbus, and to his credit, he made them a legit contender. And I was so happy to see him knock off Tampa, not because I have a gripe with Tampa. I mean, whatever, fine. But you, the world remembered, I felt, the casual fan at least remembered, just how good of a master technician and of an X's and O's guy and of a heart and grit guy. This guy is, I mean, I know that sounds cliche, but if you love him, you'll, there's not a thing you won't do for him. And when he was going right in Columbus, you saw that, which is why I was curious, you know, would Panarin leave? Because again, you know, it, 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 he seemed to be having such a great time there. Duchesne, same thing. And we forget it's been a while. The NHL has changed significantly. He's a Stanley cup winning coach. You know that that Tampa Bay Lightning team was garbage when he inherited it. He built that team from scratch. He made Vinny Lecavalier into Vinny Locavelli. He made Martin St. Louis, one of my favorite Rangers ever, into Martin St. Louis. He brought in Dave Andrechuk, you know, uh Khabibulin, Anton Khabibulin, the goalie. He made Khabibulin into what he into uh uh what he ended up becoming, which was a solid goalie for years in the NHL. So, he'll build you up, but how much, you know, can you deal with a, a field general like that who is just so intense and never seems to calm down? Well, it, it, it has its expiration date. And his expiration date came in New York, and it recently came in Columbus, too.
0: Yeah, I thought that 11-12 Rangers team was going to win it all. And then, of course, the Devils upset them. And then the Kings were just... Yeah, don't remind me. <laughs> yeah, I know. But, yeah, what a magic carpet ride they were on. Three, two. One zero zero, zero. zero. and this